Hello, and welcome to this episode of Macro Matters with Millennium Global, the podcast where we tackle the big macroeconomic themes of the day and discuss the implications for your portfolio. My name is Abigail Cushing, and I'm joined today by Stephen Jen and Mark Astley to discuss the mighty U.S. dollar, this remarkable story that continues to persist this year with with pretty serious and far-reaching implications for financial markets and for investors. Today, we're going to dive into the history of the U.S. dollar, where we think we go from here, and also the big risks of this U.S. dollar strength that investors may not be thinking about. And I really can't think of two better people to dive into this with. Stephen Jen is the CEO and co-CIO of Horizon SLJ Capital, an asset management firm, Previously, he was an economist and strategist at the IMF and at Morgan Stanley for many years, and he's had extensive foreign exchange experience over the course of his career. Mark Astley is the co-CEO of Millennium Global, a $20 billion currency specialist managing currency strategies for institutional investors around the globe since 1994. Stephen and Mark, thank you so much for joining me. Good to be here. Thank you. So the U.S. dollar has been on an absolute tear, and it's really been one of the big macro stories this year, having rallied now for almost 20 months uh, from its January 21 lows. Uh, We actually last discussed this issue on our podcast in May, and since then, the dollar has just continued to reach new heights. It's now at a 20-year high. It's considered to be broadly about 20% overvalued. Can we put that into historical context? Mark, do you want to kick us off? What are the parallels and what are some of the drivers that got us to where we are now? Sure. Uh, I think the historical context is a good place to start. So if we look at the the mighty dollar back to the onset of uh, floating exchange rates in the early 70s, you've had a fairly regular periodicity in that cyclical evolution. So from 71 to 78, we had a, a downdraft of circa seven or so years. We had a big rally from 78 to 85 also. Uh, seven years. We had a collapse really from 85 to 92, exactly the same time period. We had a big rally in the NASDAQ of the world from 92 to 01. Uh, that's a little longer, that's about nine years. And then we had a decline into the um, global financial crisis from 01 to 08, which was another, notably, seven years. Now, since that point, uh, you can look at the cycles and uh, extrapolate certain trends out of those, but essentially the dollar's been rising now from those lows for 14 years. Perhaps you might take a, a shorter time span from um, 2014, when the dollar really uh, accelerated with a policy change, and that in itself, though, is eight years. So the point I'm making here is in this very long cyclical evolution over 50 years, we've had this fairly regular periodicity, and we're fairly long in the tooth in this upswing in the dollar. In the context of valuation, we've now reached to levels which are higher by historical standards, depending on the currency you choose. Um, Most notably, in the case of dollar-yen, we are more expensive than the dollar and cheaper in the yen today, even at the heady levels of 1985, which is typically seen as the biggest crescendo in dollar valuation in history. The yen by uh, IMF PPP measures is something like 50% cheap. It's not quite so extended for the euro and sterling, but it's broadly in the realm of 25, 2025, or in some cases, 30%. So it's rich, 
but in those two cases, not as rich as it was in 1985. So that's really the historical context. If we come forward to the last 20 months, Abigail, as you mentioned, from January through August this year, January 21, that is, August this year, uh, the drivers uh, are very clearly well known now. Uh, clearly, monetary policy has been the driver with the Fed ahead of most central banks in the world. Um, fiscal policy has been very easy during our pandemic, particularly in the United States. And there's a great debate as to whether the, uh, the Biden fiscal expansion was far too excessive given the the relative reduction in income on the other side of the of the ledger. And so you have tight monetary policy and easel fiscal policy, which is the primary mix of policy to engender a strong currency. Uh, we had a parallel perhaps in the Reagan-Volcker area of the early 1980s, which perhaps we can talk about as we go through today. So that's the historical context. And so the big question here on out is to what extent this is if you forgive the analogy, we're now in the ninth inning, um, peaking for the reasons that perhaps might, might claim from valuation levels, or whether this is a secular trend, which is a lot further to run, whether it be in price or time. And that's the $64,000 question as we sit here today. So let me pass on to Stephen to make some comments about that. And, and given that historical context, where we might be going from here on out. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mark. I very much share uh, your view. I think uh, it's important to uh, keep in mind that valuation is one of the factors, one of the considerations uh, that we make in assessing the future path of currencies and exchange rates. Uh, it's not the only factor. What is important is that when misvaluation occurs at extremes, the importance of valuation increases relative to the other considerations. So if we are right, and, and our calculations uh, concur with, with yours, that the dollar index is quite uh, extremely valued compared to history. And if that conclusion is right, we may be close to a turning point. Um, so I, I share that view. I'll just add two minor points. And they're all related to the, uh, the fundamental approach of valuation, which is uh, based on real variables. Uh, but the reason why we, we are mostly in over or undervalued territories uh, is because nominal variables drive exchange rates in the short run. Uh, real variables determine valuation. So uh, so that we have to keep in mind. Uh, the first uh, nuance has to do with uh, something that uh, Mark just mentioned. The balance between the dollar valuation against the yen and the euro is very different from 1985, even though the index is uh, about 20%. Uh, too expensive, the dollar index. Right now, I think uh, euro dollar is about 20% overvalued. Uh, Mark mentioned that, which is roughly uh, our number as well. But compared to 1985, it was 40%. Back in 1985, before the Plaza Accord, it was more of a Deutschmark issue. Now it's more of a yen issue. So that keep that, that in mind. That's uh, quite important because it leads to my second point, which is that uh, when we think about what would be the best anti-dollar uh, to to long and short the U.S. dollar when the dollar turns, it may not be the euro. That's the best uh, currency to to long. It may be the yen. It may be other currencies such as high yield uh, EM currency. So I think this nuance is uh, quite important. The first point is that we need to convince ourselves uh, that we are right. The dollar index is mispriced in the wrong territory. And then the second point is we need to know uh, which currencies might be the best. Anti-dollars, and I don't think it's the euro. 
Thank you both for those interesting points. They really help contextualize where we are in this moment. Now, the big question on everyone's mind is, where do we go from here? Are we topping out? Is there further to run? Stephen, let's start with you. What in your mind is the outlook for the U.S. dollar today? Well, uh, in, in the currency markets, uh, in contrast to equities and bonds, in the currency markets, the factor that drives there's usually only one factor that dominates, and the factor that drives uh, a currency or exchange rates, you know, may may change from time to time. In retrospect, the most powerful driver this time around in this cycle has been this uh, policy mix, very odd policy mix uh, in the United States uh, of an expansionary fiscal policy and a, a contractionary monetary policy. Uh, this is odd because normally, when a country stimulates uh, domestic demand. Both monetary and fiscal policies work in the same direction, but for reasons related to the circumstances that the U.S. faced in the last two years, the U.S. had to undo some of the, uh, you know, uh, the impact that uh, expansionary fiscal policy had on the economy. And that unique uh, posture powered the U.S. dollar. No other uh, major economy had a similar policy mix, and this was something that we learned. We all learned in Econ 101 that could be a powerful driver of a a country that has credible policies. Now, you can say that the UK is also embarking on the expansionary fiscal and contractionary monetary policy, but my, my thinking is that credibility is very, very important uh, in applying this uh, logic. So that this could be why pound has gone the other way. Uh, but anyway, so your question is about the path going forward. I think both Mark and I you know, think that Eventually, the dollar should be weaker from a long-term perspective, looking at the real economic fundamentals. But in the short run, there are nominal variables that can drive the dollar even further away and above its long-term fair value. So in terms of the path, I think for me, the if you agree with me that it's Mondell-Fleming, the combination of fiscal and monetary policy that drives the US dollar, then inflation has to be the key. If the US inflation plateaus, and allowing the Fed to relent on its uh, hawkishness, then I think the dollar can, in general and on the in, in a very broad sense, uh, start to depreciate against uh, everything else. So we're not there yet, but my personal guess is that we're approaching that point. We're very close. I think on this side of the new year, before year end, we're going to uh, see the peak. That's my personal bias. Uh, but as you know, this this uh, inflation formation is quite complex in this cycle. The, the only other thought I have to add to the, the consideration of the path is petrodollars. You know, we haven't talked about petrodollars in a while, but we have in this cycle seen a massive increase in commodity prices, especially energy prices. And I called all these revenues earned by the energy ex exporters uh, petrodollars. They are called petrodollars because these countries, uh, most of these countries are pegged to the US dollar and their own currencies are not convertible. So you can think of petrodollars as a, a form of quasi-dollar. These are countries in the big de facto dollar zone, if you will. So the dollar area is not just the, the boundaries uh, defined by the United States. The dollar area, the de facto dollar area includes uh, the countries of you know, uh, energy exporting countries, many of them uh, in the world, especially the Middle East. So as the petrodollars arise in size 
and and the size accumulates. It's almost like a you know accumulated snowfall culminating in avalanche. You have a, a huge cumulative uh, supply of or uh, reservoir of uh, of dollars favoring dollar assets, earning you know earned in dollars favoring dollar assets. That creates a a cycle that's supported for the U.S. dollar, in contrast to the fundamentals of the United States. And in some parts of the U.S., the fundamentals are not doing too well, especially the current account deficit, which is tracking $1.2 trillion as we speak. So at some point, if we see energy prices fall, we are likely to see some of these reasons, the dynamics supporting the U.S. dollar, exaggerating the dollar uh, appreciation reverse. And that could happen at around the same time as U.S. inflation plateauing. So I, I sort of see this um, trajectory of a little bit further dollar appreciation followed by a sustained depreciation in the dollar. Yeah, I think given the comments we discussed at the beginning of the podcast around historical perspective on valuation uh, and time of the last 50 years or so, that's a highly credible way to think about the, the path from here, albeit that the absolute extremes we've got to of excessive valuations back in the 80s were quite a bit more so than we have currently, both in the pound and in the euro, interesting enough, against the dollar in real terms. And there is a scenario under which this gets extended. It already is in time, as we discussed earlier. It's been a wave of almost a decade of dollar strength. Uh, but in price, it has the potential to go further, given that the labor market in the US is so extensively overheated and as yet not responding to the market policy tightening, that the policy stance in the United States still has negative real rates. And we heard only last week from Chair Powell that they are intending to move the whole of the yield curve to a position of positive real rates. Uh, and it would appear they're using the core PCE to do that, which is something which is somewhere between four and a half and 4.8% currently, depending how long the look back window is. And so potentially that means the Fed funds of about five or higher. So that's potentially an issue where the dollar could maintain its near-term strength, as, as Stephen is saying. But also, of course, in Europe, we have the threat of a significant hit to aggregate demand, A, on the continent of Europe, with the energy crisis and the uh, impact of the Russia policy of restricting gas supplies. And also what appears to be an economically illiterate financial and economic strategy in the UK where the Bank of England and the ATM Treasury seem to be at odds. And the market has voted very clearly that the fiscal push in the United Kingdom is unsustainable in terms of its debt levels, uh, which is why only today we've reached an all-time low in sterling's level against the, the dollar at around 103, which has not been seen since 1985. So there is a scenario under which this continues and these extremes exacerbate. But in the long term, on a long term perspective, these uh, levels are so stretched that on a medium term basis, long term basis, we're likely to see a reversal. After all, 
currencies are cyclical by their very nature. And as they move to extremes, they do sow the seeds of their own reversal. And we are potentially in that very realm today where they, that may, may happen. And indeed, the US yield curve is perhaps suggesting that after this initial phase of tightening, there is going to be easing sometime uh, in the future because the hit to domestic demand will be will be so severe. So we're somewhat of a fork in the road, which means the volatility is likely to stay high. Um, and as we've seen in the in recent weeks and months, actually rising. So it's it's, it's uncertain the mo uh, moment today on foreign exchanges. It has been for several decades. Clearly, we're at an interesting juncture here for the U.S. dollar and need to be prepared for whatever comes next. Let's talk about the consequences of a strong dollar. The implications are clearly a lot more profound than just a slightly cheaper holiday for Americans abroad. Mark, what are some of the big risks that investors should be thinking about in this environment? Well, the first thing to notice is, is the impact, as you imply. Um, if we put this in context, before the pandemic, volatility in the major currencies, let's say euro dollar, which is the biggest of them all, was about 4% on an annualized basis. Today, it's above 10 um, so the impact of these currency moves on investors with globally invested portfolios is higher today than it has been for a very long time. And indeed, if you look at percentage returns, the order of 20 to 30% impact on those international investments, either, either positive or negative, depending on what currency base you're looking at, is very material. If we look at the contribution to total risk from currency in international equity portfolios, for example, it's been anywhere from one third, even to one half of the total risk. So the consequences for institutional investors are high and arguably they're rising. And um, certainly if you take the position, for example, of a US investor today, uh, having invested overseas, not only are they losing money on their assets because of the bear market that's ensued in 2022, salt is being rubbed in the wound because they're losing money on the translation of declining currencies back into dollars. And therefore, those losses are exacerbated. Similarly, for euro-based investors or Swiss franc or even sterling-based investors who have been hedging some of those dollar investments, the cash flow losses they've taken on those hedges have also been very material. Um, so depending on the base currency, depending on the approach taken to managing or not managing currency risk, there have been very significant consequences. Uh, and I think the lesson drawn at a minimum is that it's very important to manage this risk because it's uncompensated and bad things can happen if uh, not sufficient attention is paid to manage that currency risk. I actually don't have a lot to add. I totally agree with what Mark said about the importance of uh, FX volatility contributing to the bottom line for international investors. Uh, the numbers are uh, incredibly large, overwhelming some of the underlying returns. The only thought I'd like to uh, suggest is perhaps a change in the way FX volatility uh, has been helpful for the world and the possibility that it may have become uh, unhelpful uh, for the world. And this, I, what, what I have in mind is the following. Early stages of the dollar rally, starting from um, about a year ago, the 
the dollar rallied because the U.S. experienced more and earlier inflation than anybody else for various reasons. Uh, but when the, the Ukraine uh, war uh, started uh, in February, it changed the landscape between the U.S. and Europe. Europe started to uh, experience also very high inflation, but it didn't uh, see such inflation before the conflict. Uh, so the dollar rally was very helpful for the world in the sense that it, it was like a shock absorber. Uh, shifting inflationary pressures from the highest inflation country, the United States back then, to uh, countries that had lower inflation rates. And I think dollar yen is a good example. Dollar yen being so so high and moving, having moved uh, by so much, could be interpreted as the U.S. exporting high inflationary pressures to the country with the lowest inflation, which is Japan. So that was helpful for the world. But Again, I go to the point about petrodollars. If I'm right that petrodollars uh, skew the bias in favor of the U.S. dollar, then further dollar appreciation, when U.S. inflation has peaked or when U.S. inflation is no longer the highest in the world, European inflation is higher than the U.S., and especially if in the possible scenario in the future, U.S. inflation peaks and starts to go lower, then a strong dollar is counterproductive because it makes the energy importing non-dollar economies even uh, more difficult for them to formulate the correct monetary policy. Uh, the currency just makes the penalties from the inflation uh, from the energy price shock even more uh, difficult to overcome. So I'm not surprised to see the Japanese Ministry of Finance, uh, in cooperation with the BOJ, intervening to cap the rise or control the, uh, the rise in dollar yen. I wouldn't be surprised if the same idea comes to Europe as well. Uh, Bank of England uh, may have uh, similar ideas. This week, uh, sterling is just really not helping the energy shock or energy situation uh, in the UK. It could easily uh, trigger a negative spiral or a vicious circle between inflation and the energy shock. So. Uh, I just want to say that uh, intervention is now a new risk, uh, which I think is justified risk. Yeah, it's interesting. We seem to be in a new regime where intervention hasn't been seen really for 20 odd years. Most central banks, finance ministries, others have not believed that it's relevant. And actually, we haven't had the extremes of valuation that have justified it anyway. If you go back to the 80s and 90s, it was pretty commonplace. And we have the, um, the Plaza Accord and the Louvre Accord of the 80s, which are in the annals of history as being major events of coordinated intervention. Well, that was 35 years ago or thereabouts. And it is possible to your point, Stephen, that we will get to that again because the extremes and excessive moves uh, uh, have, have become upon us. The Bank of Japan clearly has, uh, has believed that it's gone too far. And it may be uh, the case for European uh, countries in the not too distant future if the current zeitgeist of dollar strength continues. In terms of um, the action points for many institutional investors, um, I think a managed approach involving some hedging is important. But remember that the inherent characteristics of currencies are cyclical. So there is no holy grail of the correct, right, appropriate hedge ratio for all and every financial and economic condition. And so flexibility and dynamism is called for when adopting such an approach, 
because you have the vagaries of the interaction of economic cycles, which is really where the cyclical activity in currencies comes from. And so when examining one's capital allocation internationally, it's not only important to manage currency risk, but also important to have a dynamic approach to it, given the vagaries of the cycle and the excesses that can ensue. And now in particular, of course, the volatility that we're seeing. Thank you, Stephen and Mark, for joining me today to tackle this big and far-reaching issue. There are many more questions I'm eager to ask you both around this topic, including the effects of a strong U.S. dollar on emerging markets, on corporate earnings and trade deficits, and what cryptocurrency in the ever-evolving world of decentralized finance might mean for the future of the mighty dollar. But that will have to wait for another day and another episode of Macro Matters. So be sure to follow us if you find these types of macro discussions engaging. In the meantime, it will be very interesting to see what the coming months and year ahead bring for the U.S. dollar. And Stephen and Mark, you have certainly given us a lot to think about. So thank you both very much. Well, thanks for the opportunity to discuss it today. It's the most interesting time in foreign exchange, arguably, for a generation. And so no doubt it will remain topical for many months and years to come. Yeah, thanks for having me.